Welcome to the pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Inspreffer. Hi, friends. Hamilton, To Kill a Mockingbird. Dear Evan Hansen, Phantom, Where have all the flowers gone? Concerts, holiday favorites, indoor and outdoor levity. COVID has rustled them out of our hands. For those who love the arts, culture, concerts, plays, Broadway shows, you may be interested to know that while they are not currently open due to the pandemic, venues are working behind the scenes to be readied when the starting bell sounds. Taking notes from their website, the NC Live Coalition represents 25 major venues across the state, including theaters, convention centers, concert halls, etc., and Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro, and Charlotte, in an effort to create and promote procedures and best practices that will make it safe for staff, artists, and fans to attend live events as soon as they are allowed to resume, which we hope will be soon. Coalition members include Blumenthal Performing Arts, the Charlotte Convention Center, PNC, DPAC, Walnut Creek, and the Duke Energy Center for the Performing Arts, along with Coca Booth, the Raleigh Convention Center, and the Red Hat Amphitheater, among others. As a point of reference, at one time, closures of Blumenthal Performing Arts venues due to the pandemic had cost the organization about $1 million a month. NC Live was formed to provide the state with public assembly industry input to provide recommendations to safely reopen the state's public assembly facilities due to the challenges generated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Coalition's Best Practice Plan pulls from guidelines provided by the federal, state, and local government, the CDC, public health organizations, etc., resulting in some venues, including the Raleigh Convention and Performing Arts Complex, to earn the Global Biorisk Advisory Council's GBAC Star Accreditation. This is the cleaning industry's only outbreak prevention, response, and recovery accreditation. In its 20 elements established requirements for facilities to implement the highest standards for work practices, protocols, procedures, and systems to control risk associated with infectious agents such as the virus responsible for COVID-19. Heather Strickland, Executive Director of the Raleigh Little Theater, is here today, and we're going to talk about hope on the horizon with her. Welcome, Heather. 
Thank you so much for having me, Mary. So what is your take on the efforts of the NC Live Coalition? Well, you know, it's important for any industry right now to be out there talking about the challenges that they specifically face when it comes to dealing with a a global health pandemic. You know, I think uh, our state leaders and North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services are doing, you know, a really incredible job, you know, tracking the numbers for North Carolina and providing guidance, you know, but there's no way that they can understand how their guidance is going to impact every single business or industry or, or individual. So the more help that we can provide in getting guidance about, you know, here's what this potentially looks like for the work that we do, here's where we can put some extra precautions into place, that's going to help our elected officials and our state leaders really understand the individual impact that this is having and how they might be able to think about gathering restrictions in ways that that are comprehensive. Um, you know, so I think the work that the NC Live Coalition is doing is really important uh, in order to provide a, a voice to so many performing arts organizations and venues. So I want to get your take on this, because some of the new protocols established by the coalition to assure reopening include staggered arrival times for entering, routine temperature checks, limiting touch points, and elevator capacity. How responsive to these inconveniences will patrons be just to appease their cultural fix? Well, I think, you know, I've seen so many folks are are willing to do what it takes to keep themselves and those around them safe. Um, So I you know, I don't think that folks will have any problems sort of saying, you know, this is this is the world that we are living in right now. And in order to keep myself and my neighbors and my family and my friends safe, these are, are some of the things that I, I have to do. And, you know, I think as long as uh, venues and performance spaces are kind of laying out those ground rules in a really clear way that is easy for consumers to understand, um, I think that folks are going to be so excited to be able to enjoy in-person art in whatever form that takes that they will absolutely make sure that they are following guidelines that are really there for their safety. And yeah, and when it comes to things like Hamilton, (laughs) I think think people will do just about anything. Um, (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about some of the other steps, because I think, I think, these venues, including Raleigh Little Theater, you know, you're all taking such huge steps and making such huge efforts. Like, you know, I I know the plan is to social distance in restrooms by alternating restroom sinks and urinals. Uh, Hand dryers will be disabled to prevent the unintentional spread of germs. Traffic flow patterns will be reworked to reduce congestion and lobby furniture will be removed to prevent congregation. Theater seating will be socially distanced. There'll be cashless transactions and the venues will be highly disinfected. I mean, this is a lot So why do you think these types of venues were not included in any of the governor's reopening plans? Yeah, I mean, you know, logistically, it is a lot. Um, You know, there's a tremendous amount of 
pressure for any venue that's getting ready to open any show, even in the best of times. Um, it's always sort of a, a crazy moment getting ready to, to welcome an audience into a live performance. And then you add these sorts of things on top of it that we've really never had to consider before. And it certainly adds a tremendous amount of, of pressure and stress. And in addition to, you know, just trying to tackle all the logistics, there's a very emotional side to thinking through these things because there's just a fear. There's a fear of the unknown. There's a fear of um, missing something and then potentially the, the virus does spread at your organization. There's the fear of like, am I putting the art and the finances of this organization ahead of the health and safety of our staff and our cast and our crews and our communities? Um, so, you know, it, it's one thing to try and manage all the logistics and put all these things into place. And then it's a whole other thing to balance the emotional health and well-being of, of you know, the staff that has to really think through this and then put themselves in a place where they are ultimately stepping into at least some level of risk to make this all happen. Um, so, it, I mean, it is a lot. And at what point, you know, there's the balance of, of physical safety versus mental and emotional safety. And where is that line? And, and how do we make those kinds of decisions? They are very tough decisions to make. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, something out there that's an issue for consideration is um, optimum capacity. In other words, even if allowed to reopen, some venues may not be able to resume production until they're able to turn a profit from ticket sales and draw a decent sized audience. Right. Right. And I mean, that is, you know, at 25 currently, we could have 25 audience members inside our space and selling 25 tickets per show. There are very few shows that it makes sense to, to do that for, um, and, you know, what's hard to understand is even if we do have 25 tickets to sell, will we have 25 audience members per show that feel comfortable being in inside? Um, you know, there's not even a guarantee at this moment that we could sell that out, which, you know, normally the idea of trying to sell 25 tickets doesn't seem like a big deal at all. But we don't know if our, our audiences are, are comfortable in that. But then there's the, you know, there's a flip financial risk to not doing anything because if we're not doing anything then we're not staying relevant to our community and you know right now our community has stepped up in a pretty significant way with um, donations and so if we're not doing something and producing you know whether it's virtual or very limited in person will we then lose the relevance that we need to maintain in order to at least stay connected to our community in a way that allows them to, to support us financially through these times. That's a that's very good point. Um, I didn't think about the other side of the coin as far as will people come. It's, yeah. it's like that old uh, that old field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> but we're yeah. not, we're not so sure these days. So that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, there was um, I think it was maybe a week or so ago. Um, American Theater Magazine had a really interesting article that was basically saying theaters are going to have to teach their audiences how to come back to the theater. Like there's going to be a relearning process. And, you know, I'll say we actually just last weekend, um, we are producing an outdoor show 
right now, uh, we, we are very fortunate that we have an outdoor amphitheater that we can create in. Normally it seats 2000 people. You know, we're only selling a hundred tickets per show so that we can really spread our, our audiences out right now. And we had that same feeling. You know, we produce, you know, normally 10 to, to 12 productions each year. We know how to produce theater, but, you know, we hadn't done anything in person since February. And heading into opening weekend last week, we kind of, the staff acknowledged like, oh, we have to relearn how to open a show. We haven't done this in a long time. And even, even though we are doing it again, we're doing it in such a different way than we've ever done it before. So we had to relearn. So of course our audiences are going to have to relearn how to come back to the theater. And I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. Hmm. Well, well, tell us about that show, because people whose veins are itching for something might be interested. Yeah, so we have uh, the, the remaining weekend is this weekend, which is so November 14th and 15th. Um, it's a family series show, um, so it's perfect for, for young audiences. Um, it's a show called Balloonacy. And, you know, when picking the shows that we could do, we also have to be very, very mindful of, yes, the, the safety of our audiences, but also the health and safety of our casts and crews. And the show is perfect because it is a one-person show and there is no speaking. So there are many ways that we were able to keep our one actor safe during the, the process. Um, and the story is about an old man who, you know, seems like he's sort of living a very lonely and sheltered life. And then one day a balloon comes to visit him and it's 45 minutes of this beautiful relationship that evolves between this old man and this wonderful balloon that wants to help him celebrate his, his birthday. And, and do you we have, have any uh, other shows coming up on later dates, like maybe in December? We do. Um, sticking with the theme of, of one person shows in December, on December 10th, we will be opening This Wonderful Life, which is based on the, the holiday film classic It's a Wonderful Life, but it is a one person show. So one person plays all of the characters in Bedford Falls. Wow. Um, and that one we will be streaming virtually and offering uh, limited in person. We'll be doing 25 tickets per show for that one. It looks like there is hope on the horizon in some shape or form. So, so this is very good. Um, let me ask you this, just, just in brief, cause we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, I'm just curious how you're handling bookings and rebookings and setting tentative plans with performers going forward. I mean, do you have to, you know, do you have to give them a retainer or is there an insurance thing or, you know, how does that work? Because I know you plan your 2021 calendar, but what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, we're a community theater, so we are volunteer based. And anytime we put out a call, uh, whether it's a, an audition call or a call for crew, there's all sorts of qualifiers of we're hoping to do it this way. It might turn into this kind of production of it. And then, of course, you know, we're also working with all the licensing agencies because we have canceled and changed dates and reapplied for so many different um, performance rights over this year that I think at one point we we lost track about, like, when we had what show rights for because, I mean, it's just an ever-evolving process and we have to 
constantly reevaluate what's the right way to, to step forward. Well, I, I'm glad people are stepping forward and there are things like this NC Live Coalition and, you know, it's good for our listeners to know the venues have not given up. I, I even understand DPAC has sent out a DPAC looks forward email to season ticket holders and, uh, you know, but however, given the governor has just extended phase three, three for the second time with a deadline now of December 4th, what's this going to mean? Will will you survive? Will fans survive? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we will survive, right? Theater yay, yay, yay. has been around for a very long time. And, you know, theater is one of the many art forms that tends to just thrive on the other side of, of these really challenging times. And, you know, Raleigh Little Theater has been around since 1936. Yay. We've gone through many hard points in in history. Um, so yes, we will survive. Um, you know, we're going to look a little bit different. You know, certainly our budget has taken a, a significant cut. We are operating about half of what we were last season. And, you know, it's not going to be like we're going to hit the 21-22 season and all of a sudden things are just going to be back. Like it's going to take time to rebuild that. Um, and that's going to be hard. It's going to, you know, there's going to be certainly sadness in the loss. I think it is important for us as a community and as artists to also recognize where the opportunities are in this time because we're learning a lot about how we create art. We are learning a lot about how we become more accessible to our community, and that has a lot of impact when it comes to making sure that we are equitable and inclusive. So I think the important part will be that artists, and theaters will need to dig deep and figure out what are we learning? How are we growing? Where are the opportunities? Because there are a lot in this moment. And I would hate for us to get on the other side of it and have gone through all of this really hard time and this trauma and not have gained something from it. Wow. Very positive thinking. Very positive thinking. And, you know, I think some of the solutions will involve getting up with the governor and state officials to educate them on what these venues are doing and how this could work. I mean, it's just extraordinary what all of you are doing. But do you have any other ideas? Is there anything, let's say, patrons can do to help support this cause, like a petition or other support? I, you know, the best thing that our patrons can do right now is to, to stay engaged. You know, normally our patrons would, they paid for their ticket and then they would show up at the theater and their life would be transformed in, in some way from, from watching the show because they've chosen to engage with us. That engagement looks very, very different right now, right? It might be watching us virtually or it might be participating in, you know, some sort of virtual chat that, that we're offering. We still need our patients to show up, stay engaged with us, um, share the things that we are able to do, show up in for the virtual things that we can offer. Um, and, you know, if they're willing and able, please donate to make sure that when we are able to open our doors, we can do it in a way that is, is about celebration and not about survival. Um so I think those are the important things. And then also there's going to be so many stories that we need to tell on the other side of this. Um, helping us tell our story is going to be really critical about, you know, what 
how did the arts maintain you during these moments? How are they helping you understand and thrive on the other side of this? Because we're all going to need to heal. But there's a lot of healing that everyone's going to have to do, and the arts are going to be a critical part of that. I like that. Celebration, not survival. I like that. Okay, so um, let's let's give out the – I'm going to give the coalition site – which is nclivecoalition.com, nclivecoalition.com. And I'd like also if you could give Raleigh Little Theater's uh, site so people can either check out the upcoming offerings and or support. And, and remember, this is, this is about all these venues. So if you're, if you're really into all this type of entertainment, you should check many venues to see how you can support them, like suggested either watching something virtually or donating. But what is the site for Raleigh Little Theater? Yes, absolutely. It is RaleighLittleTheater.org. And that is theater spelled with an R-E at the end. So RaleighLittleTheater, all one word, dot org. Well, Heather, thank you for that and good luck. And thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Mary. I appreciate it. At this time in our show, we usually feature a nonprofit organization. However, I'm doing something a little different this time, albeit still an opportunity to volunteer, support a cause, and make a difference. I want to tell you about the Johnson & Johnson Ensemble Study. The purpose of this clinical research study is to determine the efficacy and safety of an investigational vaccine for the prevention of COVID-19. This investigational vaccine is being evaluated in people 18 years of age or older. About 60,000 adults from across the globe will take part in the study, and they are looking for volunteers. In brief, eligible participants will be in the study up to two years and one month. You will have up to eight visits, either at home or at the study center, with the study doctor or clinical research staff. Several tests and assessments will be performed to monitor your health. Qualified participants will receive study-related medical care and either the investigational vaccine or placebo at no cost. Qualified participants will also be reimbursed for reasonable trial-related travel expenses to and from study visits. Have you ever wanted to be a hero? Save someone from a burning building? Here's your chance. Volunteer. EnsembleStudy.com EnsembleStudy.com well, it's time to high-five and say goodbye. Hey, tell Alexa to put on Triangle 411. Or go to Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Apple, or to our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com to hear stories about outer space, the behind-the-scenes happenings at HGTV, Restore of help for women, working moms, and moms turned virtual learning teachers, and more. Be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be non judgmental. <laughs>